They shift him from right to left. Play action to that side. Rolling right, looking. Fires in the end zone. Got a man. Oh, touchdown. That's a tight end from 15 yards out. Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories podcast, Season 3, Episode 16. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And today we are joined by Southeastern Conference Commissioner Greg Sankey and SMU head football coach, Rhett Lashley. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the bowl season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest was appointed the eighth commissioner of the Southeastern Conference in 2015. And during his eight years in that position, the SEC has claimed 47 national championships. He has over 35 years of experience in collegiate athletics overall. Please welcome to the show the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey. Greg, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Nick. And uh, I guess that means I've been around for a while at this point. The, the hair's gone grayer over those 30 plus years. Well, Greg, we really appreciate you being here. You and I have known each other a long time. We're, we're, we both have degrees from Syracuse University. We were both colleagues back in the day when I was an associate commissioner for the Big East, and you were just starting out at the SEC. Uh, always had great respect for you. Uh, I've known you through many jobs, uh, but obviously the job you have now is, is very unique and at another level uh, from all the rest. Tell us what a day in the life of being the SEC commissioner is like. Uh, and maybe a couple points. One, uh, I don't think any two days are at all the same. Um, and in fact, you can begin pretty early with a plan or a thought on what your day will look like. And, you know, an issue will arise or something will need to be addressed. Um, and your plan goes away quite rapidly. The days run into each other, particularly at this time of year, you know, football season. I think people would understand for those involved in programs is seven days a week throughout that, you know, 12 weeks plus the open week, sometimes two open weeks, then a championship game and conference offices, as you'll recall, we don't have open weeks. And so it's been 15 or 16 straight weeks today. You know, the, the reality of the job is you wake up and your mind is spinning. So I think I started about 4am in my home office doing some things, preparing for the day. Uh, as we talk, it's uh, 3.30 p.m., so there's a cup of coffee next to my microphone, um, and th that may be uh, a description of a reality of a typical day. Now, an SEC team has won the CFP National Championships in six of the eight years you've been commissioner. Tell us, why is football so important in the SEC, and does it, in fact, mean more? You know, a few thoughts there. One, it, it is a rallying point, not just for communities, but for states. Um, and that's a tradition that's existed long before I arrived. Uh, when you look at the history of the Southeastern Conference, it's actually a story that we told in conjunction with the 150th season of college football in 2019. Uh, some of these stories predate the Southeastern Conference. So the emergence of football first, in the northeastern part of the country, it's migration south. Um, the, the geographic compactness of the Southeastern Conference 
when it did emerge and the rivalries that came from that and the desire for people to be a part of um, touching and feeling those programs. Uh, the It Just Means More slogan was really about our universities and thinking back to when the SEC was first formed in the middle of the Great Depression, the educational impact, the economic impact, uh, the cultural impact, the leadership role of our universities themselves, then attached with these athletics programs, notably football, uh, co combined to make something special. We didn't have a lot of professional sports in this part of the country uh, around the time that the conference was formed. You could access you know, games via radio, but that college experience became a commonality that, that kind of looked to the beacon of, of a state center of education was important. And, and I think that's a tradition that's continued and it manifests itself today in, in stadiums of you know, 70, 80, 90, over 100,000 people on any given Saturday, rivalries that date back you know, some uh, 100 years, maybe even more, with great stories woven in. And I think that's what really sets, sets us apart, the combination of those unique factors. You and I both know, Greg, bowl season is such a special time of year serving as a reward for football programs across the country at the end of a successful season. Tell us about your specific bowl partnerships and why bowl games are so important to your football programs in the SEC, not just at the top of your conference, but to all 16 of your member institutions. Yeah, it's it, it still remains a reward. And even as circumstances change, I think the core of the postseason environment remains intact. Well, one of the best examples I can offer is, you know, coaching changes take place generally at the end of the regular season. That happened at LSU in 2021. They were in the, the Texas Bowl. A number of guys who opted for different realities, some were at the end of their career, others who wanted to be someplace else, kind of in the high 30s of scholarship players, yet the team showed up. They played Kansas State. LSU didn't win, but they had one player on their offensive line who set the school record for the number of games played. LSU scored the last two touchdowns in that game, and I just happened to be uh, near those the end zone when those two touchdowns were scored, and it was joy. Um, there, there were a bunch of young people, dozens of young people who opted in. I think we talk so much about opt-outs. We forget that everybody's opting in in huge numbers. They wanted to be there. They wanted to represent LSU. They wanted to be a part of that team environment one more time. And I think there's a continuity of thought, even for a team that's playing in the college football playoff, the appreciation that that team's together at the end of the season, perhaps for, for the last time, um, is something to be respected. You know, our bowl inventory you know, starts uh, with the CFP and then the Sugar Bowl, which is a traditional uh, relationship that we have decades long. Uh, Citrus Bowl, we go to Tampa, uh, Houston, Nashville, uh, Memphis, Charlotte, uh, back to Tampa, Birmingham, and uh, Houston in there. All of those are in our footprint. We, we stretched every other year to include the Las Vegas Bowl, provide a little bit different opportunity for our teams and our fans. Um, and you're going to have in any conference, particularly in ours, different aspirations, some that the opportunity to play in that high level ball or the, the, the near six, the college football playoff, that that's the goal in prevailing there. Uh, others as they build want to access 
um, a bowl opportunity. Uh, perhaps it's a coaching change year before and accessing uh, like Auburn has the Music City Bowl, which is a great experience or the continuing effort. And I'll give you an example at Tennessee, uh, the Citrus Bowl for them against a Big Ten opponent has um, particular meaning. So I, I think there's a lot of uh, good still, even though some of those communication points are different. I would go back to watching the opt-ins play um, and the joy that that you can see when you're up close about the opportunity related to the opportunity to compete and represent a team, a group of young men, and a university. Throughout your career as a college administrator, you've had the opportunity to be involved in a lot of bowl games. What have been some of your favorite bowl season memories? You know, I have um, at home. Um, a game I watched on TV was the Independence Bowl when Bill Hurley played for Syracuse. So it was Syracuse and McNeese. Uh, for me, man, it was about 20 years later. I was commissioner of the Southland Conference and McNeese State was in there uh, in that league. So kind of a small world. Uh, the Rose Bowl in January 1st, 2018, which was Georgia and Oklahoma. Uh, went to double overtime. Georgia came back. One of the most incredible games I've witnessed um, was was a special experience. Um, for me, the ability to, to say hello to people and be on the sidelines now as, as the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference makes uh, each opportunity special. We're obviously trying to compete and win. The circumstances do change. Uh, but when you're down there close, even though uh, there may be a few different people on the field than perhaps in the middle of the season. Uh, it's still an important environment, an intense environment, a competitive environment. And, uh, you know, those games that stand out are, are some that were personal to me, like that one I watched from TV in the 70s where I ended up leading a conference. Um, the exciting uh, element of that, that Rose Bowl last year, being at the Liberty Bowl between Arkansas um, in Kansas that went into overtime. Um, those are just experiences that uh, kind of give you a little bit of excitement when you're a commissioner who doesn't get to cheer all year to finish uh, with a rooting interest specifically is a lot of fun for me. All that being said, how important is it for the teams in your conference to perform well in bowl games? Well, you want that. You know, as you said, we're all competitive. Um, it does set you up for uh, a level of expectation and excitement for the year ahead. Uh, we've had teams lose bowl games that have gone on to play in a, a playoff game the next year. So it's not an absolute, but I think it is. Um, a, a re it's rewarding to finish with a smile on your face at the end of a bowl game. And, and that smile being produced by uh, an advantage on the scoreboard when, when the clock strikes zero. Let's shift gears for a minute here. You were a member of the Division I Transformation Committee. Please tell us, what was that committee charged with doing? And what are some of the positive changes that you feel have been recommended and instituted as a result? You brought me in what seems like the Wayback Machine. I've, I've, uh, it's been a year uh, since dedicating a year to that experience. I was a co-chair, Julie Cromer. The athletics director at Ohio University participated with me and deserves a great deal of credit. Um, I think that the charge up front was to 
dig into aspects of Division One that needed meaningful change and introduce that change for consideration by the Division One Board of Directors. Um, you know, making that observation up front and actually getting into the work in a room of uh, diverse perspectives is it, it, that that assignment and the challenge itself are two very different realities. And I, I think what we did is provided some context around change, like transfer policy that we expect will continue to change. So at least there was some framework. Um, the holistic model for student athletes was really identified to us by student athletes asking for a common experience across Division One, some needed change that's still being managed in the enforcement process. Um, I, I don't look back and say, wow, we really transformed Division One. I. I think transformation is a process longer than a year or longer than a committee. We're still seeing aspects of change coming externally, whether it's governmental or from a legal standpoint, some of it internally from the change in leadership. Um, my hope would be, and, and Julie and I both said this during our time leading that transformation committee, that it is an error to think, hey, transformation is this committee in this year. It has to be an ongoing effort. And, and we'll see if that's possible within the Division One environment, given the diversity of perspectives that's present. We all know that next season, the CFP will be expanding from four teams to 12 teams. Everyone is excited and looking forward to that. But there are 36 other bowl games played during bowl season that won't factor into the national championship equation, but are still really meaningful to the student athletes and the teams who participate. Tell us why those games are still so important. So it's been an easy communication, at least from the Southeastern Conference perspective, is even with an expanded college football playoff, not everyone has the opportunity to play in the postseason if you just focused on those 12 teams. So uh, the ability to access postseason in football still has value and meaning. Uh, there, there's the obvious kind of preparation, learning, growth and development of the players. There's the reward, the ability to do something new after the grind of a regular season. Um, the ability to build a program. So you take you take a look at the big picture. Um, the access to a bowl game is about this year and next year. Um, and it's, it is that development opportunity. It is the ability, as I said earlier, to grab some momentum, to compete against uh, a new opponent, um, and, and have a level of continuity between the season, the off season, the spring season, and preparation for the next year. Um, and, it, and we've been intentional to engage in those conversations with our membership. And, and given that, uh, you know, within a conference, it will be 16, there aren't going to be 16 postseason slots for us in, in the in the college football playoff, even expanded. Uh, we feel strongly about the continuation of bowl opportunities for our, our, our football teams and the young people on those teams. Looking ahead to the next season, you're adding two new institutions with great football programs into your mix. How will Texas and Oklahoma affect the landscape of SEC football? From my perspective, since we've been working now for two plus years on the integration, uh, there's an opportunity for that to be very much a seamless transition. We're not that far from having added Texas A&M in Missouri. Uh, remember very early on, we had a Heisman Trophy won at Texas A&M with Johnny Manziel and 
a couple of East Division championships won by Missouri. And so I think you'll see an elevation of the competition. For us, practically in football, it means we move away from the divisional format we've known for the last uh, three decades. Uh, we see our teams play on our campuses, move around more frequently, so we won't have this big gap between cross-divisional opponents. Um, and I think that's that's really exciting for our fans. So we're, as we speak, in the midst of announcing elements of our schedule um, and in the middle of December for next year to build that excitement. We'll go into the spring, uh, early summer. We'll announce kickoff times for the majority of our games heading into our media days. And uh, we've got the opportunity to magnify the interest. And I think uh, that history that you referenced on, on the part of Texas and Oklahoma added to 14 highly committed universities to their football programs just speaks to the excitement that will come. Last question for you, Greg. In this time of great change and unpredictability in college athletics, what do you think, or should I say hope, the next 12 months has in store for us? Yeah, so the hope and think could be two different answers. Um, I'll tell you what, what I think. Um, the, the pace of change will not slow. In fact, and, and I don't mean this about any particular aspect. We've seen a lot around conference membership movement. There seems to have been a level of settling uh, of late. Uh, I really think about decisions from a policy standpoint within the NCAA about how we support student athletes, how we manage transfer issues. How do we continue to adapt the game of football? You think about sideline technology use. Uh, communication from sideline to players on the field. Uh, we're going into a traditional rule cycle where we can change rules. Um, our staff's been working on adaptations to make uh, the rules more clear, but also help our officials be more effective at officiating the game. I, I think that's really important as, as we think about hurry up offenses, no huddle. You know, the, the way we used to officiate 20 years ago just may not work with all of the assignments. And so we have to think differently there. Um, I think at the congressional level, we'll continue to engage in, in the educational effort, continue to make the presentation for the return to national standards that given all of the different states legislating and continuing to legislate, Congress becomes the venue for that standard. I think the NCA and conferences are partners in that effort. Uh, but the, the ongoing uh, pressures from litigation and really the changes happening at the state level um, raise the need for uh, congressional action to establish a national standard. We'll no doubt spend a lot of time on litigation issues. Um, we've seen in recent weeks even more lawsuits filed putting pressure on the historic collegiate model. Uh, many would say that the, the way we've managed college athletics has worked well for the vast, vast majority of people, yet um, we're being pressured to change. So we'll have to contemplate what that change really means. And my hope would be, so that's what I think, my hope would be we can come to a level of clarity sooner rather than later so that we can uh, return the focus to the field, to the competition, to the stories of the people in those games, um, rather than the, the constant discussion about policies, about name, image, and likeness, about the transfer portal, those things will be part of our reality. Uh, but I think our student athletes deserve better than the current environment that's that's developed on this state-by-state -state basis. Well, Greg, we've taken up enough of your time. We really appreciate you joining us. 
you and I have known each other a long time. I have great respect for you personally and professionally. Uh, this is a really busy time of year for you. I, the whole year is really busy for you, but we appreciate you taking the time out and sharing some of your thoughts with us and good luck this bowl season. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate the work and, and what our bowls mean. And um, given that this is the week of the Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl um, involving the Division Three National Championship and my undergraduate alma mater, uh, Cortland State, I'll say go Red Dragons as we finish. Tax Act knows watching college football is fun. Doing your taxes? Not so much. That's why they make filing simple. So let's get them over with. Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Our next guest played quarterback at Arkansas from 2002 to 2004 and is currently the head coach of the SMU Mustangs, where he broke the school's 39-year conference championship drought this season by winning the American Athletic Conference. Please welcome to the show SMU head football coach, Rhett Lashley. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me on. So let's go back to when you were a college player. You you were a former quarterback, uh, from, as we said, from 2002 to 2004 at Arkansas. Tell us about your time as a student athlete and how did those experiences shape your coaching philosophies and your ability to lead the SMU football program? Yeah, you know, I had the opportunity to, to play at Arkansas for Houston Nutt and um, it was really a um, just a dream come true. You know, I grew up in Arkansas. You always want to play at Arkansas if you grew up in Arkansas. And um, and then just, you know, wanting to play college football was a dream. And so um, getting to experience that, um, you know, in the home state was really cool. And I learned so much from Coach Nutt, but then just all of my coaches. I had Roy Whitkey was a position coach who coached Tony Romo in college and David Lee and some others. And they just really had impact on me. But I think just the college experience – you know, the, the reason we love college football, the just the um, the emotion, the pageantry that comes with college football, the, uh, you know, we my freshman year, we we uh, we beat LSU at War Memorial on the last second of the game to win the SEC West. And we go play Georgia in the SEC title game, you know, and um, got to go to some cool bowl games over the years and um, just make a lot of long lasting friendships. But I think what it's helped me the most being a head coach is now. I know what it's like to be a college football player, to be a student athlete. I know, I know the times have changed, but um, you know, you remember what you liked and didn't like about practice and workouts and scheduling. And you also know how guys think at that age a little bit and the way the locker room talks and all that. And I think it gives you an opportunity to at least do the best you can to lead your guys knowing you've been through what they go through to some degree. Let's talk about the conference championship this year. You were down in New Orleans playing the reigning AAC champions for the title. What was it like bringing a championship back to the Mustangs after a 39-year drought? That's, I don't know if there's schools have had droughts that big. That must have been pretty amazing. Yeah. There's definitely not been schools that have droughts that long that have a history of championships. You know, We've won 11 Southwest Conference championships. We have three claimed national titles, um, but none of them in the last 40 years. And so – it's really it's 39 years since we've shared an outright or shared a title. It's 41 since we won one outright. Eric Dickerson helped me remember that. 1982 was actually the last time we won one outright. 84 we we were tied for first. So to do that was was huge um, for our program. You know we've been on a really steady climb the last five years um, as a program. We've established a winning winning culture. This five straight years going to a bowl game. 
Uh, we're the winningest team in Texas over the last five years, but we didn't have a championship to show for it. And I think it was really important for us. We felt like we had a team that could do it, but then to go do it was big, uh, especially as we were leaving to go into the ACC now. Um, you know, you look at the teams that have left in the last decade and moved up. You look at, you know, Utah when they went um, to the to the Pac-12 initially. You looked at TCU when they went to the Big 12. You look at just recently Houston, Central Florida, Cincinnati coming into the Big 12 from our league. They all had one thing in common. They all won a conference championship right before they left. And, you know, yes, we had already gotten our invite in September, but to kind of validate it by winning the conference and doing it the same way everybody else has, I think was important. Um, the American was good to us. We've won now 10, our last 10 games in the American. Before we left, as we left, we went 9-0 and this year. Uh, last year, we beat Memphis in our last game. The last team to have beaten us was Tulane at Tulane last year, and it was not a good night for us. They beat us pretty good. So uh, our guys were excited that we got to go play them at Tulane, uh, you know, to bring it home. So this podcast is called Bowl Season Stories. So let's talk about bowl games a little bit. You've coached a variety of programs at the FBS level as an assistant, now as a head coach. Tell me your thoughts on the importance of bowl games to college football. You know, I think we're in a critical moment with that. Um, I think they're important. I think it's a part of what makes college football special. Um, the bowl experience is really cool for student athletes, for coaches and families and fan bases to get to travel and play other teams. I don't normally play in a lot of cases. Um, it's obviously must see TV over the holiday seasons. Um, I think it's, I think it's everything that's right about college football. And that's different now, you know, five years ago, even it was all about, man, get to that bowl game. So you can get an extra 10 to 15 practices. You can develop your team. You can do this. You can do that. That ain't the case anymore. It's, uh, with recruiting and transfer portal and all the chaos that goes on in December. Um, I mean, we're sitting here on December 14th and we haven't taken one second to worry about our bowl opponent. We play them in two weeks from today because uh, we've been out on the road recruiting and it's a blitz to finish. And, you know, we're about to turn our attention to Boston College, but you just got to take it as it comes. And then you want guys to want to play in the bowl game. So many guys now are opting out and, and all that or transferring and, so I hope we can find a way to to tweak it to to where, you know, it still has the incredible value that I think it has. Um, fortunate for us, a lot of our guys are playing. They're really excited to be going up to Fenway and play. I think now, too, bowl games are really, unless you're in the playoff, they're really standalone games. I don't think they have anything to do with defining your your most recent season. We went 11-2. and two. We won our conference. Check done. Mission accomplished. And if we were to go not win our bowl game, I don't think it should dilute or water down anything we did this year. At the same time, if we win, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to win next year, although we have a great opportunity for us to go beat a future conference opponent, propel ourselves into a new league on a high note. And so I think from that standpoint, it has a lot of value for us. Yeah, those are good points. You know, I, I think, um, you know, you, college football is an uneven playing field, as we know, right? I mean, we're going to have 12 playoff spots next year. That's obviously not enough to serve the, the entire uh, 133 FBS institutions. So, you know, these games are so meaningful uh, to so many programs, whether they're, uh, you know, uh, building blocks for the future. And the question I have for you is how meaningful have those ex bowl experiences been for you over the years? And, and is there any, 
you know, specific memories that stand out to you about a bowl trip and a bowl experience in a unique city that you may have never been to? Yeah. I've been blessed in 16 years to get to go a lot of cool places. And that was the original right intent. And that's what a bowl game is supposed to be a reward. Hey, you had a winning season, you get a reward and you get to go here to play these guys and have a great experience. And that's still what it can be and should be. I have, I've been, I don't know if there's one, I've been blessed to coach in the sugar bowl, the Rose bowl, the Fiesta bowl, the, you know, the music city bowl, the outback bowl, the citrus bowl, the, Cheese. I mean, you, they go on and on, and to go to a, a side and have four, four or five days with your team and do activities, and you know, then get to play an opponent a lot of times from another conference that you don't normally play, and you know, I just think um, that's what it's. You know, guys get bowl gifts, they get a bunch of new gear. Like they're still kids. I know they don't get treated like that anymore, but they still are. And then you got coaches and their families who work their tail off. It's a great reward for our families. Like my kids get to go to bowl games. That they love that. They get to run around, and that's kind of one of the perks of being a coach's kid. You miss out on a lot of stuff, but you get to do a lot of cool stuff other kids don't get to do too. So, um, I don't know if I have one. You know, I mean, it's easy to say that the um, the Fiesta Bowl when we won the national title in 2010, and the the Rose Bowl when we got our heart broken in 13 were two pretty good ones, but. Um, you know, I've, I've just been blessed to be in a lot of really cool bowl experiences. I haven't had a bad one yet. You touched on this a little bit a minute ago. Do you see bowl games as more of a reward for the current season or as a momentum builder into next year? I think it probably depends on where your program is and certain dynamics inside the program. You could probably argue that either way. I think it needs to be seen as a reward. Um, it needs to be seen as a man. We accomplished – the, uh, you know, every team at the end of the season, they may have conference championship, national championship, whatever aspirations. But the first step to get to any of those is you got to become bowl eligible. And so I think becoming bowl eligible is a big deal in our in our in our game, uh, both professionally and for the kids. So I think it's a great accomplishment. It needs to be celebrated. It needs to be rewarded. Winning is hard. And so you got to celebrate winning. And I think bowl games is a great way to celebrate winning teams and reward them for it. Um, I think it's up to the coach. How does this, does this springboard you or not? I mean, if you win, yes. If you lose, it doesn't necessarily have any bearings on the next season. Um, so I think, I think it's much more the reward uh, side of things for me. As you mentioned, you'll be playing Boston college in the Fenway bowl, kind of a home game for them. I'd imagine you're expecting a, a little bit of a road game feel. What are you telling your players in preparation for the Boston atmosphere? excuse me, you know, we're good. We got to go play on the road at OU week two. We've been in that kind of environment. It prepared us to go 5-0 and in the road in our league. We won at Memphis and the Liberty Bowl was big. We, we won our conference championship game on the road at Tulane. So um, I'm kind of a weirdo. I like playing on the road. I mean, we have like a – I'm going to get it wrong. Chris would know it, but we had to silence him. So we were like 23-4 and four in our last 27 home games or something. Like we've got a pretty good home field thing going right now but I actually like playing on the road I, I liked it as a player I like going into places where everybody's against you it's just you and your team the atmosphere and so our guys have embraced that this year I mean I'm sure we're in Boston if they don't have more fans than us then something's probably up but you know to get to play in Fenway uh, is really really cool the history of that place side note I actually got to coach in the first football game played at Fenway in 2017 um 
So I've been there in that setting. It's unique. You're on the same sideline, like all the things that go with it. But, um, you know, we're, we'll play people anywhere, anytime, and we'll be excited to play. One of the cool things about bowl games is for the, the student athletes and the entire traveling party really to experience a, a community or a city that they may not have been to before. Yeah. Certainly the city of Boston will be a unique experience for your players and staff. What are you and your team most looking forward to other than game days at the Clam Chowder? Is it Fenway Park? Probably not the Boston weather this time of year. Uh, I'm going to ask you if you've ever been to Boston, but obviously in 2017. Tell, tell me what you guys are looking forward to. You, you hit the nail on the head. We're looking forward to the experience. You know, Boston's a really cool city that a lot of our kids have never been to. So this is an opportunity for them to go visit Boston um, and do something that's, you know, both educational and just fun to do. And um, I, because of the time of year, I bet we'll consume a lot more clam chowder than like lobster rolls, but that's okay. Um, you know, I think everything, the, the whole experience, playing at Fenway is really cool. And I, you know, our guys will, will love that experience and and hopefully they'll understand and appreciate that for what it is. It also is like we were talking about, it's a reward for our fans. Uh, your fans support your program all year long and then they get to go to a fun destination like that. I have been to Boston a lot, actually. Uh, my best friend from birth pretty much is is Clay Cole. He he moved to Boston after we graduated from Arkansas, met a, met a BC girl, got married. Uh, they now live in Greenwich, Connecticut, but I, I went to Boston a ton for about eight years seeing him. He got married in Boston at the one of the museums there, and um, I've gotten a chance to see a bunch of games in Fenway. And so it's a really cool city. It's one of my favorite cities there is. And um, so I'm just excited for our whole team to – and we're going to do that. We're going to enjoy the game, I mean, the experience, the bowl experience. We're not just going there to only try to win. That's our top goal. But we're going to have a good time, let our guys enjoy Boston. Certainly a lot of history in that city, a lot of a lot of museums, a lot of Irish pubs, uh, whatever you're We're looking for. We're trying to keep our Boston guys out of those. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will be SMU's last game as a member of the American before joining the ACC next year. I know you're focused on winning this bowl game, but what are you most looking forward to uh, in the ACC and what challenges do you expect you and your team will face? Yeah, there's a lot of irony, right? It's our last game in the ACC or the AAC but we're playing an ACC team in a bowl game that's actually on our schedule next year. So, um, you know, we felt like we left the American Conference the best way we could. Obviously, we won the league, but we have a lot of respect for them and what they did for us. And uh, we're really excited about our momentum going into the ACC. You know, fortunately, myself and several of our staffs, we've been in the ACC recently. We understand the league. It's a fantastic league. I think the biggest thing you know, if we can win this game, that obviously could, could propel you to some momentum in the offseason. But more importantly, your guys giving confidence like, hey, we played against an ACC opponent. We now kind of have an idea what that's going to be like. You know, that'll help our guys a little bit. Um, I think the biggest challenge, and anybody knows it, is just we have a team right now that can compete with anybody in the ACC. We proved it when we went to Oklahoma and other things we've done. Excuse me, but it's the weekend week out of being in a league like that that is the challenge. And do you have the depth? Can you stay healthy? You know, because every week is physically grueling at a little bit different level. And so that's going to be the biggest challenge for us. You know, next year our schedule, we got BYU and TCU in the non-conference, and then we got an eight-game ACC schedule. Like, how are you able to do it week in, week out? On a one-game basis, our program is ready to compete there right now. It's can we do it for the course of a 12-game season? Uh, and that's what we're excited to go do. 
Coach, last question for you. We always like to ask our guests about people that maybe have influenced your career. Uh, I know you're from the Gus Malzahn coaching tree, working under him for a significant portion of your career. What have you taken from Coach Malzahn, and how has he inspired your coaching style? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Coach Malzahn and I, it's it's well-documented, our relationship. <laughs> I mean, he was my, my high school coach. I mean, he came to my high school when I was a seventh grader. And um, so I played for him. Everybody has a, a, a close relationship a lot of times with their high school coaches and then worked for him for eight years in the college profession. You know, I owe him a lot just for the opportunity to get in and to get to where I am. You know, he hired me first as a GA and then he hired me as an OC and, and on and on and helped put me in position to get to where I am. You know, th there's a lot of things I learned from him over the years, probably a lot of things I learned from him I didn't know I was learning. You know, and, and when you get to the ball side of things, your brains think a little differently and that's fine. But like the foundational principles of what we do on offense and how I think as a coach, I owe a lot to him, you know. Um, and so, you know, it's not any one thing. It's just kind of an overarching philosophy of, you know, how you want to like we want to play the game. We want to be balanced. We want to run it and throw it. We want to play with tempo. And but when we do run it, you know, we don't want to be known as this fast team that's throwing it all over the yard, which we love to do. And but then we're not physical. No, we still want to have a physical edge, be a physical team. And, um, you know, that's one thing I always liked about him. I threw it 71 times in a game twice in high school playing for him, 71 times. So we threw it, right? But we've never not had a physical element to our teams. You know, we run the ball. We run the power, the counter, the inside zone right at you. We used to run buck sweep all the time. And, um, you know, we still believe in what wins football games is running the ball, stopping the run, being physical. Um, but there's just, uh, I owe a lot of opportunities I've had to him, you know, um, but also just that kind of foundation of what's important as a coach, you know, probably the number one thing I learned is, you know, you've got to have an identity and you got to be good at something. And I think so often as coaches, it's how many plays can I run? You know, and, and as a play caller, you got to have an answer for everything. Right. So it's real easy. There's a fine line of like having too many calls and not having enough. But as, as young coaches or even old coaches, it's like, how I got all these plays. How many plays can you run well? How many plays can you execute at a high level regardless of what the defense gives you? And that's where what I learned the most from him that I think is something that's helped set us apart offensively over the years is we don't try to run every play created. We try to run what we run really, really well, and that's a fine line. Great stuff there, Coach. Well, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us. I know this is the busiest time of year uh, for All you. Good. Uh, but you, we appreciate your time. Congratulations on a great season. Go try to get that 11th win, and good luck in the Fenway Bowl. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, we might have to get you a Cowboys helmet from behind you there, too. You know, just spice it up a little bit. All right. All right. I'll look forward to that. We can, we can update that for next year's, uh, next year's podcast. <laughs> Thanks, right. Coach. Thanks, Nick. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. If you missed any of our past episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening.